the students who are beginning a new season, like those who are going into a uh, different season in their life, the jam kids going into hope kids, hope kids going getting to youth group. And, and, we, and we also take time to pray for all the teachers and volunteers in the church. So at this time, I want to ask, if you are those who are teaching our children, uh, jam and hope kids and chosen, if you can stand here, and if you're at home, if you're worshiping with us, you can stand where you are. We want to pray for you right now. Can you do that? Okay. okay. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for your grace. I thank you so much, Father God, for new season, new year that as all the students are beginning, God. We thank you for all those who have volunteered and invested and loved you by loving these children, just teaching them and guiding them. They, became, they, they may become uh, lovers of God and, and friends of God and children of God in every way. We ask your grace and mercy over each and every one. We thank you for this new year. We ask mighty, mighty blessings and growth and becoming more like you in every way for every single person in our uh, education department and, and the children. As, uh, we ask a grace for the teachers and leaders. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. Uh, and also, we want to take time to pray as we begin the school year. At the, I think Montgomery County started school already this last week, but Howard County is starting this coming this coming week. And, and we have a lot of teachers in our in our church. So if you are teachers or counselors or those who are working in schools, public or private school system, if you can stand where you are. Can you do that one more time? And if you're at home, if you can stand, we want to pray for you as well. We believe in investing in the lives of next generation. We do believe for hope in the next generation. And we counted, we, are, we have closely about, over 15% of our members are related in some way to education. We count about at least 20, I think, in our church, who are in, in education field. So uh, let's, if you can stretch out your hands toward those who are standing, let's pray for them. Father, we come before you right now. We say you are good and awesome, God. And Father, we thank you, and we lift up those who you may have called not only as a vocation, a job to teach students, but you're calling upon their lives, Father God, to impact this nation, see the next generation rise in hope and glory, God. So we, we lift them up before you. We ask that you'll be upon each and every one. And Father, your grace upon you, you'll grant them wisdom to be able to dis, uh, really uh, dis, discipline, disciple, and teach young ones to know you in this world, God, and that your kingdom will go forth. They're building your kingdom, God, more than just a career of making money, but you, they are, you have called them to partner with you, be building the kingdom of God in this world. We ask your blessing and grace upon each and every one. We love you. We give you glory, God. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. It's my privilege. I'm excited to have a time to introduce my best friend, that Pastor Daniel, not from New Jersey, but now from California. Uh, he is not currently in, uh, he is a currently pastor of a new church plant called, you've never known a name like this, Morning to Gladness Church, MTG. 
right? In El Segundo, California. It is a multi-ethnic, multi-social economic church. A unique church. Started with about, I think, a handful of people. Now I believe it's uh, 50% Hispanic. And they are very in a ethnically diverse church. And I looked at their website. They said their ministry is designed to be known for solid biblical-based uh, uh, sermon, pursuit of the fullness, full manifestation of the Holy Spirit, and giving themselves to care for the poor and redeem the marketplace to make it to to make it to recreate the society where the weak and oppressed are cared for. I like that. And here's my best friend and man of God. He'll be giving the word of God today. Good afternoon. I'm here actually for my nephew's wedding, which took place yesterday. Um, Without divulging too much of uh, his personal life, just amazing story how, you know, he grew up here in Virginia, had a really difficult life. Uh, Parents got divorced when he was a young kid. Uh, He didn't finish high school. He had to get GED. It could have just really ended up uh, really broken and uh, um, in some big big trouble. But God really redeemed his life. And um, about 10 years ago, he began to attend church and uh, just so profoundly changed his life. I was talking to him. He got engaged in San Diego back in, I think, February. And... um, you know, I'm in L.A., so I asked him to come on over. Can, I can use a different microphone, okay, if that's a problem. There's a howling here. Uh, anyway, <clears throat> you know, I was just talking to him, and uh, he said a couple of years ago, he was really depressed, and uh, he was going back to drinking again, and uh, yeah, that'll be better. <clears throat> Uh, and um, Sunday morning, he got up, and he began to drink in the morning. And he said he heard the thunder so loud, he looked around. He thought something happened. But it was not really a thunder. It was the thunder of God. It really, there was a thunder, and then God began to speak to him in his mind, and he began to converse. And God basically said, you know, I'm very disappointed that you are going this way again. Uh, and then he began to talk to God, and God said, uh, you know, there's a church across the street, why don't you go there? So he ended up going to the church, this is a couple years ago, and then um, for the first time in his life, uh, he did not have a girlfriend for about two years, uh, and uh, when I talked to him a few years back, how come you don't, you're not dating anyone? Because he always had a girlfriend, tall and handsome, you know, um, and uh, he said, you know, Uncle... I decided not to date anymore until I'm ready to get married, you know. And then he stayed away from girls for a while. And then for the first time, he got on the social media, you know, one of those dating apps, and uh, met this wonderful Christian woman. And then uh, got married. Uh, Not too many people could come because of uh, COVID. And uh, I just felt I had to be here for his wedding. And uh, because it was really beholding the grace of God. 
I remember when I was uh, starting out as a pastor, when I was still in the seminary in Chicago area, um, we used to have a very, I mean, no youth retreat is more intense than grace, but we, you know, we, had, we used to have five-day-long retreat as well. And this one time, um, these three girls came. And this is back in the 80s. I don't know, you don't know the 80s fashion, right? All black, you know, spike up your hair with gel like this high. You don't know, okay. All right, it was back then. <laughs> these three girls came, all black and dark, like gothic makeup and you know, hair all over the place. And then uh, they came because they had run away from home. And, uh, I mean, these kids had money. Uh, so money was not the problem, but they ran out of friends' homes to stay in. You know, you can't stay for a few days, and they don't want you anymore. So they had no place to go, so they came to the retreat, you know, at least a place to stay for five days. And then during that retreat, God worked so powerfully, two out of three became Christians. Genuine, it's a powerful move of God. And eventually that one girl ended up marrying one of the associate pastors of the church. And I knew their story a little bit. And when that happened in my immature and legalistic mind, I said to myself, how can this girl marry the pastor? I know. I'm judging, okay? (laughs) At least I was. But that's really what I thought. How can it happen? Happily married, even now, she became a wonderful you know, support for the pastor. But that really is a story of God's grace, isn't it? Amen? Yeah? I mean, I mean, God is really gracious beyond our logic, and God is not reasonable in that way. He just really redeems people's lives. And that was a story of my nephew. I'm so happy for him. It's amazing. Um, you know, he thanks, um, you know, my, especially my parents, because there was very little we could do for them as they were going through a really hard time. But my parents just really prayed and prayed and prayed. And then, you know, even now they say, you know, it's really because of their prayers that their lives turned out well. If you're going through a difficult time, I want you to have hope. You never know. You really never know. You know, my nephew is 34 years old now. Ten years ago, we could not have anticipated just wonderful redemption of his life. You know, 20 years ago, it was, I mean, we were deeply, deeply concerned. But hold on. God is alive and he's working. Let's turn to our Bibles to Zechariah 3, 1 to 7. You know, this is a sermon that I preached at my church. And uh, every sermon should be in the context of the congregation, I do not know your situation, so this may not work. But I'm hoping that God will speak through this message, okay? Uh, This is why we need to have local pastors. I don't know if you are aware, but every book in the New Testament, even in the Old Testament, every book was written for a specific occasion. There was a specific historical context, and the writer was writing to a specific concern that he, or I don't know if there's a female writer, but the writer was concerned about that church or that situation historically. So every sermon really should be to a context, to a group of people who are going through something. Unfortunately for me, I do not know. Maybe I should have prayed. I was just sitting here thinking, I should have really prayed and asked God what I should preach. I did not. I'm sorry, okay? Um, 
But I was praying, Lord, is this a sermon I should preach? I, had a, I have a few other sermons in my file, so should I preach something else? I feel like I should just pray, preach this thing. So here we go. May the Lord speak through this message. Zechariah 3, 1 to 7. Then he, an angel, showed me the high priest, Joshua, <coughs> standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Do you know that God chose you? Amen. What happened? I need some response. I know that you all have, all have masks on, but please give me some response, okay? Do you know that God has chosen you? Amen. 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 The Lord has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you, Satan. Is not this man a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was dressed with filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. The angel said to those who were standing before him, Take off his filthy clothes. And to him he said, See, I have taken your guilt away from you, and I will clothe you with festal apparel. And I said, Let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with the apparel. And the angel of the Lord was standing by. Then the angel of the Lord assured Joshua, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, If you will walk in my ways and keep my requirements, then you shall rule my house and have charge of my courts, and I will give you the right of access among those who are standing here. Amen. Nine years ago, my daughter, the oldest of our three children, went to Chicago for college. We are very excited, you know, New life, college and all. And then a year and a half later, she returned home wrecked with anxiety and depression. When she went through this counseling and, you know, the, the uh, diagnosis, it turns out as early as she can remember, she has always had anxiety. But we did not catch it. Uh, I thought she might have some learning disability. It turned out to be all anxiety. And when she went to college, away from home, where she did not know anyone, during the freshman year, her anxiety began to spike. We did not know. At the same time, in New Jersey, our family, our youngest was discovered with MS. Weird form of MS, what they call, I mean, they do not even know even now. MS spectrum. He, his left eye went blind in three days. He was complaining about, you know, I can, you know, it's my vision of my left eye is fuzzy, and uh, we stayed over the weekend, and by Monday, we drove into the uh, uh, neurologist from there to ER, and then he was in the hospital for, I forget how many weeks, where he went through all these tests. And my daughter is very, very empathetic, I mean, like, on the deep end. And she knew that we were going through just a lot back in New Jersey, so she did not share what she was going through, and it just went out of control. We did not know what she was going through. Um, she went back to school after one year, and in the middle of the first semester, sophomore year, she withdrew from college, came home, and then she was bedridden. She could not get out of bed. Okay. And then um, this went on for two years, and it was a really difficult time for our family. During that time, I went into her bedroom several times and spoke. This is what I said. You are going through this valley 
because of God's great plans for you. God has great plans for you. That's why you're going through this thing. And, you know, there were signs that God had great plans for her. You know, right before she went to college, as a 19-year-old, I actually had her preach from my pulpit. Three, ser- three ser- sermons. She was so scared, I did not know. <laughs> you know, I, she was standing here. I introduced her, handed over the microphone. Throughout the whole sermon, she never moved from this spot. She preached like this. But after her sermon, uh, it was a sermon for women, you know. I didn't feel I could really speak on that topic, so I asked my daughter, I, you know, when I visited her in the mission field where she was doing DTS, I felt she had a message, so I invited her to preach. This woman, she's 19 years old. This women in their 20s and 30s lined up to receive prayer. That was a powerful. And, you know, some people wrote me a text right after the service. She's better than you. <laughs> For which I was very happy. But immediately after that, she was just plunged into this, you know, hole of depression and anxiety. Very difficult. And that's what I said. You know, you are going through this thing because God has great plans. And this is what I said. I said, for a mount to be tall... The valley has to be deep. For a building to rise, the builder has to dig deep. There's no other way. She's still in college after nine years. (laughs) She will be graduating next year with enough credits to finish two bachelors, but she's getting only one one bachelor degree. Doing fantastic, full of confidence and hope for the future with an unusually deep compassion for the hurting. A.W. Tozer said, There is no one God used greatly without afflicting deeply also. Pain seems to be the necessary crucible to purify God's people unto glory. I want to ask you this morning, afternoon, what do you think is the most powerful force in the world? Is it money? If you're American, we would think it's money. Is it military? It is the word. Proverbs 18.21 declares, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. The Bible shows us that God created the whole universe with the power of his word. Even now, life, cultures, and futures are being created by people's words. Words are creating reality. Words go first, and the reality comes as a result of it. The word, more than money, more than military, more than anything else, is a most powerful source. And that power is at the edge of your own tongue. Every one of you. Every one of us carries a mighty power. You have the power of life and death. You can bless or curse. You can encourage or discourage. You can lift up somebody or even yourself from a mire or through your words, you can thrash somebody into the pit of despair. If you're a parent of... Anyone that is older than toddlers, maybe you get the uh, temptation to curse your child. Do you? It's like, 
you know, they misbehave so badly, and these kind of words begin to form in my mind, like, you're so lazy, you're never going to become anything. Yeah, some of you? No, you guys are all saints. Or you want to say something like, you're so bad, no one will want to marry you. I mean, these kind of words form in our minds. I have thought those words many times, but have never spoken it. Why? I mean, to think that thought is bad enough, but I know once the word is spoken, it has power. I've seen it happen. I've seen parents, because they love their kids and they're frustrated with their words, they destroy their lives. Do not speak it. You have the power of life and death at the edge of your tongue. Let's look at today's passage. We see three people on the scene. There is Joshua. He's a high priest, which means he represents Israel. If you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, Joshua represents you as well because you are the new Israel. Second, there is Satan. Satan, the name means accuser. He's there for the sole purpose to accuse. And then there is the Lord. He's the Lord of the universe. It is the most powerful one. First, let's look at Joshua. It says, he is like a piece of wood plucked out of the fire, which means he survived. He survived the fire, but he's badly damaged. And this represents Israel who just got out of the exile because of Israel's sins. You know, I hope you know that part of the history. Because of Israel's sin, Israel was sent to an exile for 70 years. The nation destroyed. And after 70 years, a remnant returns. And that is a picture of Israel right here. Because of their own sin. Not by accident. After many warnings, you know, they would not repent. So God destroyed them. And they were all taken into exile. Small remnant returns. That is a picture. Survived, but badly damaged. Maybe that's how you feel. Because of your sin, your life has been badly damaged. You survived, but it's very badly damaged. It says Joshua's clothes are filthy. Dirty clothes represent shame. And Israel knows it is not for any other, anybody else's sin, but their own sin. That has caused their present state. It is their own shame. Their life speaks of their own shame. That is what this is saying. And maybe that's how you feel. You are ashamed of what you have done and how your life has turned out because of what you have done. And if you are honest, this is probably how anyone that is genuinely honest feels. I remember um, talking to someone some time ago, and uh, I mean, he was flying high, the best school, best job, and uh, married a wonderful woman, 
And uh, he said, I have no regret in my life except for one thing, which was really nothing to be ashamed of, okay? Um, I said, really? Because I said to myself, I am full of regrets. <laughs> you know, so, really? You're like, you have no regret in your life except for that one thing? A few years later, he always, almost ended up divorced. You know, I'm not going to go into the details, but I mean, you know, his wife really suffered. So if you're really honest, this is probably how a lot of us feel. We look at our lives and, you know, my life is, we stand by God's grace alone. That is Joshua here who represents us. Next, we look at Satan. And we do not see what he's doing, but by definition, we know that in the scene, he's viciously attacking Joshua, accusing. His, that is his sole purpose. You are filthy. Look at your life. You should be ashamed of your life. Look at all the people that you've hurt. Look at your own situation. It's all your fault. Constant accusation. And he would be right. Somebody said, Satan tempts us to fall into sin, and once we fall, he kicks us with accusations. That's exactly what he's doing. Thirdly, we have God in the picture. And this is what matters. Satan is accusing, but at the end, his words do not count. Amen? He can accuse forever, but at the end, his words do not count. Your own words do not count. Our own evaluation of our own lives do not count. Maybe you feel you're a fantastic success or you're a terrible failure. It doesn't count either way. St. Paul said, I do not even evaluate myself because I don't know everything. There's only one judge, and that is God. Satan's words do not count. Your own words do not count. Only God's words count. And this is what God says. God is always gracious. His truth, and truth is sharp as a blade. That is a definition of truth. It cuts both ways. But he's always clothed with grace and mercy. Joshua knows he's filthy. His clothes are filthy. He's full of shame. But God does not agree with that situation. He says, take off his filthy clothes and clothe him with festal apparel, which means, later on he says, I have taken your guilt away. Do you know that God has taken your guilt away? Whether you feel good about your life or whether you feel ashamed of your life, in either case, we stand by God's grace alone. Yeah? Because Christ has taken our guilt away. But that's not where he stops. You know, a lot of Christians think that's it. You know, I was a sinner, I got, I got forgiven. Hallelujah. Wonderful. That's the best news. But that's not where he stops. He says, take that filthy clothes, clothes away, put a festal apparel, meaning we're going dancing. You know, put on dancing clothes. We're going to have a party. We're going to have a celebration. So God does not stop from negative to zero 
It goes from zero to festal clothes. This is the picture of Luke 15, isn't it? About the prodigal son. He comes filthy, you know, eating like pig food, and uh, the father doesn't say, clean him up, okay, because I got work for him. <laughs> He's going to be my servant. No, he doesn't say that. Put on the ring. Put on new clothes. Kill the fattened calf. We're going to celebrate. That's exactly the same picture we see here. Put on festal clothes. God pl- clothes you with festal apparel. You know, my, our church name back in New York, New Jersey was Joy. And then after stuff happened, um, I never thought I would go, to, go back to local church ministry again. It was so painful what I went through. I said, I'll never do it again. I said that to some people, and then I forgot. <laughs> I totally forgot. Because a few years later, uh, when I was recovering from what I went through, I was praying one day, Lord, you know, what, I, what should I do with my life now? And I was in a season of prayer, and this name just dropped in my head, literally. Okay? Mourning to gladness. And then, you know, when the name came, I knew that God was calling back to uh, a local church ministry because I knew that it was the name of a church. And that's how we ended up. But this is what I say to you. You know, one of the main uh, uh, messages that God has given in my life is joy, is gladness. Do you know the Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love. Second is what? Joy. I mean, people say it's one fruit. Ultimately, it's the fruit of love. What kind of love? Joyful love. Do you like to be with people who love you, but it's like they cannot stand you, but I love you, so, you know. Do you like to spend time with people like that? You know, sometimes our parents are like that, right? Always like scold, always scolding. I mean, you know that they love you, but it's like, it's like, Mom, I love you, but I don't want to spend time with you. Or do you like to be with people who really just enjoy you? Okay, you may be dirty, but they still enjoy you. What do you, what do you like? We want to be with people who enjoy us. Joy is something we fight for. And that is what he's saying. I declare to you, until you enter into joy, you have not matured. We have this picture of maturity, just like always, always like, you know, just always mourning, always groaning. Groaning is great, but that's not all there is. Love, joy, peace, patience, and so forth. And that is a picture. God says, we're going to have a wonderful time. We're going to really enjoy. I'm going to enjoy you. You're going to enjoy your life. You're going to learn to enjoy me. You're going to learn to enjoy each other. Life is going to be a wonderful thing. That is what he's saying here. Festival apparel. Devil will always accuse because he hates God's people. Now, the Bible says God does sometimes accuse as well. Because God says, I will not always accuse. In other words, if you are in sin, God will point that out. But he will not always accuse. His you know, pointing out of our wrong is not for the purpose of accusation. It is a purpose, it's for the purpose of correction, not accusation. He's like a good mother. You know, I've seen some mothers, these, you know, these days, parent, parental authority is down to the ground, right? A lot of parents, I don't know if you guys are like that, but I see them right now. They never correct their children. It's a, it's a really weird culture. But 
They, I mean, like our society has morally condemned parents from correcting their own children. So kids go crazy wild. I mean, I was in the subway in New York City not too many years ago, like three, four years ago. And the kid is going crazy. I'm running around disturbing everybody. And the mom just watches. And I'm like, there's no authority. Now, that is not godly parenting. A good mom will correct. Correction. No, you're not going to do that. My kids are old now, adults. I still correct them. It's hard. You know, when they're adults, it's really, really hard. It's like, I have to look for the opportunity. It's like, you know, it's like, <laughs> you know, parents become cautious. Is, is it okay now? Then I correct them, and then I get the blowback, right? I mean, there's always a blowback these days. I mean, it's not like when I was a kid, like, you know, I'm from the old generation. Your parents yell at you, you just kind of listen, okay? You may complain on the inside, but you just, you just listen. But these days, you correct your child, they immediate blowback, you know, and I just listen. <laughs> I just listen. Okay. Then we have like a cold war going on for a few days. Then it becomes okay. But I know that those things are important because otherwise, these days, nobody corrects anyone, right? And that's how our interaction becomes. Our interaction becomes shallow because nobody corrects anyone, anything, but we don't like it. So you just stay away. You just stay away. It's not loving at all. But, that's, but good mom will correct misbehaving child. But when that child acknowledges what she has done wrong, there's an immediate forgiveness. And there's hugs and tears and restoration. And that is a picture of God. God will point out. You know, God does not point out all of our wrongs at the same time because if he does, we will all be crushed. But if you have walked with the Lord, you know, God points out typically like one thing at a time until you pass that one. And sometimes it takes a long time to pass that one and then another one because he is interested in our glory, glorifying his children, not accusation. So that is a picture we see here. Now, you heard this thing before. The Bible differentiates conviction from condemnation. Conviction is from God. Condemnation is from the devil. Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Conviction is from God. Condemnation is from the devil. Conviction is specific. The Holy Spirit points, some, points out something specific that we did wrong. We know what we are convicted about. You know what it is that God is pointing out. It is a for the purpose of repentance. And once we repent, guilt is lifted up, and we experience God's forgiveness, peace, and joy. Condemnation is from the devil. Condemnation is general. It is this general sense of hopelessness. You're bad. That's condemnation. And there's no hope because it's so general. It's like you're bad, and you cannot do anything about it. That is from the devil. We must listen to God's conviction and repent and turn away from sin, but we must refuse to listen to the devil's condemnation. There's a famous story about Martin Luther. He was hiding out in a castle, afraid of the Pope. This is in the middle of the beginning stage of Reformation. 
and uh, he was working on some, you know, some work, writing. The devil showed up and began to accuse him of all the wrong things. You know, his lust, his pride, his fear, everything. He just kept on going, withering attack and accusation. And it was all true. Everything the devil said was true. After all this attack, Martha got up and said, all that you said is true. But I have been redeemed by the blood of Christ. And he took the ink bottle and threw it against the wall. And the devil disappeared. That ink blotch is still in that castle. Historical mark. And that is true for every, every one of us. Now let's get back to the story. God takes the filthy clothes away, puts a vessel clothes, celebrative clothing. But he doesn't even stop there. He says, put a turban on his head. Turban represents honor. God wants to take you to the place of honor. Honor is another word for glory. That is what God, where God is going. It is not just a forgiveness. Forgiveness Joy, and then honor. And that's not where he stops either. He says, if you walk in my ways and obey my commands, I will restore your authority to rule. Full restoration. This is a picture of Adam being restored. Adam and Eve were given the authority to rule the earth, to be God's representatives, to bring God's rule on earth. And because of Adam's sin... We all lost it. But here, he's saying, I'm going to restore you, not just forgiveness of sin, honor, and not only honor, but I am going to restore you to your, what, this there, this is a popular saying this there, this saying this, this original design. This is what you are created for, and I am restoring you back to that original design for you to rule. Do you know that you're supposed to rule? This is very, very important. This was the other sermon I was thinking about preaching, which I'm not. You are called to rule. This is very important because if Christians do not rule, and of course Christian rule is different from secular rule, it is a ruling in the way Jesus would rule. Your family, if you're a teacher, many of your teachers, bring God's rule at your school so that the children as well as the administration will experience God's truth and grace. Wherever Jesus went, there was healing and prosperity. Everybody benefits, whether you are Christian or non-Christian. And every Christian is supposed to bring some kind of rule. God has given us the authority. Too many Christians relinquish their authority. They think being a good Christian is just going to church. No, it is not. You come to church, get healed, restored, Filled up with power, with the power and the knowledge of God, go out to bring God's rule. It's a fight. It's a vicious fight because there is an enemy out there. You get hurt, come back again, get healed up, filled up, go out again, fight. We are called to bring God's rule. It is coming. And we have to prepare ourselves to bring God's rule. I cannot go on here, so let's stop. Continue. Now, we all have a tape in our head, our self-talk, and I want to ask you, what words run into your tape? 
these days, I mean, that tape picture is like so old, okay? Nobody has a tape anyway. It's like memory stick, okay? But, you know, we still use that word, tape. So um, I have the tape there. What words go through your mind? Whenever something happens, what words come out of your mouth? It's like, you did it again, man. Self-talk. You're hopeless. You'll never get out of this. Is that what you talk? What is a self-talk? If that's what comes to your mind, you're listening to the devil. You are. Because God will not speak to you that way. You know, Bob Harley has that story. One day, God spoke to Bob and said, Bob, I don't like the way Bob speaks to Bob. I want you to be kind to yourself. Be kind to yourself. Be gracious to yourself. As God is kind to you. Some people love to complain, magnify their problems instead of God's goodness and power. Do you magnify your problems or do you magnify God's grace and power? Listen to God. God always speaks hope to us. He doesn't discourage us. He encourages us. And we need so much encouragement all the time. Do you not? We all need encouragement. Somebody said the Bible has 365 occurrences of fear not, have courage. One for each day of the year. We need a lot of encouragement. You may think it's the poor people or sick people who need encouragement, and you know that's not true. Every one of us, we get beat up all the time. We may on the outside you know, act all together because you have a good job and you live in a nice neighborhood or whatnot. You're respectful in every way. But on the inside, you're getting beat up. We need encouragement. Let God encourage you. Listen to God's voice. The Bible is a book of hope. Do you know that the Bible is a book of hope? Adam blew it. God says, Noah. Let's start again. Reboot. Human history reboot, Noah. He blows it. All right, let's do it again. (laughs) Abraham and Abraham's descendants, Israel, blows it. All right, let's do it again. (laughs) Not exactly do it again, but the descendant of Abraham, Jesus. There's always hope. It's a book of hope. You are never without resource. Always. There are some words of God that you can use. You guys are well trained, so I'm sure you know all of these words, but as I said, this sermon was originally prepared for my congregation. Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans that I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. This is for you. Philippians 4, 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I remember when I was starting out my ministry, I was so scared to speak to a bunch of youth kids. I would scream this verse in my car, in in my 30-minute ride from my home to the church. Kids did not know. I was so scared. You declare this. 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. Philippians 4, 6, and 7, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. 
Let me close with one true story. <clears throat> a mother bought two expensive solo piano concert tickets. One for herself, one for her son, who was very young. With the hope that seeing this world-renowned pianist play piano would inspire her son to practice piano more. So she bought two tickets. Went to the concert. There was nothing on the stage, of course, just a grand piano and a stool. And they were all excitedly. This packed audience was, was waiting for this maestro to come and perform. And in the middle of this excitement, the mother was talking to some people around her. She did not notice her son slipped out and walked toward the stage. And there was a gasp in the audience. And when she looked up, it was already too late. Her son was sitting on the stool, playing. Out of all things, chopsticks. And people were murmuring, whose child is that? Who, you know, who let that kid go up there? And she was so embarrassed you know, she bent her body and walking toward the stage to get her son back. And while she was walking up the stage in the corner, she did not notice the pianist had walked to the stage, sat next to the child, and began to play. And of course, the kid was still playing chopsticks, but the Music that he played, he created around that simple tune of chopstick was so beautiful. Everybody, nobody was talking anymore. They were all mesmerized by this beautiful music that this man was cre- creating. The mother walked <clears throat> close edge toward that piano. When she got near the piano, she overheard the maestro speak to her son. Don't stop now. Keep going. I will help you. Keep going. You know, whether you are big in the world or not, in the big scheme of things, the picture of God's history and the universe, we are all just playing chopsticks. That's all we are doing. Many young people do not even know who John Rockefeller is anymore. Isn't it amazing? 50 years down the road, I'm not sure if anybody will remember Jeff Bezos. First man to own two, what is it, how much? $200 billion. We're all playing chopsticks. But God comes to us. He's whispering to you now. Keep going. Don't stop now. I will help you. Let's pray together. Why don't we all stand? And I would like you to vow today to be kind to yourself. Amen? Be kind to yourself. Especially if you have the tape 
of self-accusation, always beating yourself down, going on all the time. We repent, we try again. But be kind to yourself. God is merciful toward us. Just pray that. Why Why don't we open our hands together and pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you. We stand by your mercy alone, Lord God. Lord, speak your mercy toward us. Speak your grace that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. That you care for us. You have redeemed us. Why don't we take a minute or two and pray together. Just pray over yourself. Pray over your family. Just declare your trust in the Lord that he's got your back. He will be gracious to you. Take a minute to pray. Thank you, Lord God. Father God, strengthen your people, God. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord God. Oh, Lord, we pray that we will listen to you instead of the voice of the promise that you will restore us to the original design to bring your rule upon the earth, Lord God. Would you just raise your hand and just by faith receive that authority. Lord God, that we would represent you on earth, Lord God. Nobody's perfect. Even after forgiveness of sins, we all stumble and fall. But you pick us up all the time and Lord, we keep on going. We keep on going, Lord God, and you will help us, Lord God. Father, we lift up the Hope Church. You have great plans and wonderful will over this church. We declare the gladness of God over this congregation, Lord God. They will be happy in the Lord. They will celebrate your goodness. They will focus on your goodness and what you have done and what you will do at all times, Lord God. They will not be bogged down by the accusations of the enemy, Lord God. They will shake it off. And like cobwebs, they will fall apart, Lord God. And they advance, Lord God. In Jesus' name, Lord We declare it will be a march of joy, Lord God. They will just celebrate their way into the kingdom, Lord God. And they will bring the kingdom of God in that joy, Lord God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let that celebration, let the festival come, Lord God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.